Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Hello, I hope you're finding time to breathe in this whirlwind back to school season. I'm definitely feeling a bit overwhelmed as I try to roll with the last minute adjustments and figure out how to go back to teaching in person. I'm nervous. It's been a long time since I was in classrooms with kids. I'll be on a cart at both of my schools and using mostly individual art kits, so I'm trying to wrap my brain around still doing some form of tab in this setting. I've also just moved. I'm not sure if you can hear the crickets, but I'm sitting in my new garage studio, which is almost fully functional now. It's a lot moving right before school starts, but it's a good move for us closer to work and my daughter's school into a bigger space with a yard. In my overwhelm, I am holding on to this feeling that comes with listening to the crickets at night and feeling the grass between my toes. What do you hold on to? Now, instead of a featured artist this week, I want to share a special project that Dean B. Bowers is cooking up. I worked with Dean to organize the Together While Apart project last year, which she took to heights I didn't even dream of. It was a collaborative quilt-like artwork that is now being exhibited at the University of Alabama at Birmingham's main hospital, then will travel to the Hickory Museum of Art in North Carolina, then the MCV VCU Hospital in Richmond, Virginia, before settling as part of the permanent collection of the University of Virginia Medical Center. It is also appearing in the magazine What Women Create and was featured by the Smithsonian in the online exhibit Stories of 2020. So, needless to say, I am so excited about Dean's next collaborative project. Here she is to share more about it. Hi everyone, my name is Dean Bowers. I'm a wife, mother, and artist living in South Carolina. I want to tell you about a new group art project I am organizing called the Fresh Start Project. With COVID on the rise again, there is so much uncertainty and confusion and the world feels more unsettled each day. It is easy to be weighed down by fear and anxiety. The goal of the Fresh Start Project is to find a healthy, productive way to channel the negativity and appreciate the present, as well as look towards the future with inspiration and hope. COVID has dampened their spirits and left us weary. A new perspective will encourage us to delight in the precious moments life has to offer. That is precisely why I have created the Fresh Start Art Project. Finding an opportunity to explore what a fresh start means is exciting and hopeful. Using creativity to identify our many blessings and anticipate our possibilities will be one of the hallmarks of this project. I invite you to join me and participate in exploring what a fresh start means to you. You do not need to be an artist or have special creative skills to join this project. You just need to be open to try and willing to experiment. 
Art will not be the only form of expression we use. Writing, poetry, music, meditation, flower arranging, dance are some of the ways you can explore making a fresh start. The materials that you need will be provided and the only costs will be minimal to cover mailing expenses. You have the freedom and flexibility to design your own composition based on what a fresh start represents to you. You will have three months to complete your piece and are able to do this on your own timeline and on your own schedule. You may contribute more than one piece as well. There will be a confidential and private Facebook group where you can connect with other project participants if you choose to do so. There will also be optional activities to spark creative play that use our five senses in fun, imaginative ways. These activities will encourage you to step away from the computer, unplug from your phone, and get outdoors. There will be ground rules for a Facebook group, and political discussions will not be allowed. What will be allowed and emphasized is mindfulness, authenticity, connectivity, and kindness. Your final contribution to our project will capture your reflections on what a fresh start means to you. Once I receive everyone's pieces, I will organize them in a colorful large composition that embodies the ideas, the joys, and the possibilities that we celebrate. This large collaboration will become a piece of public artwork that we will donate to a deserving nonprofit or medical facility. It will convey a message of positivity and hope to all who come in contact with it. And it will be a beautiful example of how to graciously move forward with joy and happiness in spite of difficult situations. If you are interested in learning more, please contact me at deanvbowers at gmail.com. Official signups begin in early September, but you may reserve your spot now. Thanks so much and I hope you'll join us. I loved how Erin McCluskey-Wheeler talked about being an art cheerleader for her students. Her mantra of it's just paper and encouragement to play and explore without getting stuck on unattainable ideas of perfection were so helpful. She shared such great advice around piecing together a career as an artist, which feels connected to piecing together her gorgeous collage work. A game changer for me was her goal of 50 rejections per year. What an incredible mindset shift that creates. Going from mourning a rejection to celebrating it as part of a larger goal. Erin McCluskey-Wheeler is a painter, collagist, writer, curator, and teacher based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Erin works in many series at once and across disciplines in painting, collage, works on paper, prints, and poetry. Each medium with its different qualities allows Erin to explore ideas about memory, language, color, and place, while retaining a unified voice that reflects on the power of color and connection. Erin has a BA in Studio Art and Art History from Beloit College and an MFA from California College of the Arts. As an undergraduate, she did an intensive study of traditional brush painting at Kansai Gaidai University in Hirakata-shi, Japan. Erin is a faculty member of the 92nd Y School of the Arts in New York City and teaches collage and mixed media classes throughout the Bay Area. 
Erin has shown extensively in galleries across the country, and her work is represented by the Roaring Artist Gallery, a virtual gallery showing the work of visionary women artists. You might remember back to episode 42 when I actually spoke with the founder of Roaring Artist Gallery, Katie Bradford Osborne. Erin's artwork is licensed and sold through West Elm, Minted, Target, and Samsung. She has won multiple awards for her visual art and poetry, including the top prize for poetry from North Wind Arts in 2021. Erin is a founding member of the Collage Stock and the Art Brand Alliance. Let's hear from Erin. So I am talking with Erin McCluskey-Wheeler today, and I love that your experience is a little bit different from a lot of people I've spoken to, so I think that will be really interesting. And before I share much, would you be able to walk us through your background, your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah. So I I do teach um, mostly adults, which is, I guess, Mm -hmm. a little bit different than some of the folks that have been on the podcast. And I make art that's mostly like, I would consider it collage, but it's very based in painting first. Like I paint most of my own papers and then cut and assemble them. So it's basically painting with papers, kind of a good analogy for the way I Mm -hmm. tend to work. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) But collage, you know, just in general is such a fun medium. And I think something that's really intriguing and exciting for people. So it's been really fun to both expand my artistic practice as well as teach. The two things have really gone hand in hand Mm -hmm. over the last five years, which has been really fun to see how that develops. Yeah, that's amazing. And Maybe if you could go back, like how Mm -hmm. did you get into art and also how did you get into teaching? Yeah. I mean, I think like many of us, I was (laughs) really always wanted to be an artist or maybe Mm -hmm. not all of us, but and at various points, he was like, oh, maybe I'll be a marine biologist or maybe I'll be, you know, something else. But art was just always kind of the thing that I wanted to do most. Mm -hmm. And I went to a liberal arts school for undergrad. So I was one of a very small cadre of art students there, which was really fun. We were really experimental. We did kind of a little bit of everything, like some printmaking mm. and performance and installation. And there was a lot of just really interesting collaboration that happened at Beloit College in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I went to grad school at CCA back here in the Bay Area, where I'm from. And that was a little more rigorous, like a, or just a little more, it felt like everyone was a little more siloed kind of in their disciplines. So I was actually there in the creative writing program. Oh, wow. And I always felt like I was kind of like looking over the fence at the art students, like, what are they doing over there? But there wasn't a lot of chance to sort of mix and mingle, which was strange kind of in retrospect that we weren't offered more opportunities to collaborate and work together. But I graduated from grad school and moved to New York like right away afterwards because I just was like sort of feeling really anxious to kind of like start my life that had this weird pent-up energy in my 20s that I still don't quite understand. I just felt like I was in such a rush. But I moved to New York and then I was like, I don't know how to be an artist here <laughs> like at all. And I just worked. I worked in museums and I worked in museum education primarily while I was there, mm-hmm. which was an awesome career and really fun. Everyone in my family, are, they're all teachers. Like Everyone's at some form of teacher. There's like mm-hmm. maybe two or three that are not teachers, but basically everyone yeah. is, is a teacher. <laughs> Yeah. And both my parents were teachers. My dad was a high school religion teacher and my mom was a mostly middle school and high school teacher and taught every subject from like special education to history to math. Um, She was a librarian. I mean, she just, she loved to learn new things and change careers a whole bunch. Really creative teacher, just engaged with kids in such amazing ways. 
so did my dad. I mean, I shouldn't <laughs> his career at all, but he just, he liked the consistency basically, like being at the same school and kind of the same mm-hmm. subject. And it was really worked well for both of them. So I guess I'd really grown up with teaching as like a really great, viable career, mm-hmm. but I also knew that that wasn't a hundred percent what I wanted to do. Like I didn't really want to teach at the K through 12 level. Mm-hmm. And I was curious to see what else was out there for, for teaching experiences. I loved museums, always loved museums. So Working in museum education was kind of like, oh, this is really great. (laughs) Like, this is an awesome career. And I worked at the Brooklyn Children's Museum and the South Street Seaport Museum. Oh, nice. The Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum, Mm -hmm. the Center for Architecture, and then a bunch of other kind of places in smaller ways. And I got really involved in the pedagogy of museum education, the visual thinking strategies that you learn, Mm -hmm. kind of wonderful open-ended questions you do with students in galleries when you're looking at art. There's an amazing organization that I was a member of and then the president of for a while called NICMR, the New York City Museum Educators Roundtable. Mm -hmm. And we had so much fun creating opportunities for learning and growth and kind of visiting each other's museums and talking about, you know... Museums are in these really interesting places for student engagement. So during that time, I did a lot of family programs, like developed a lot of early childhood programs for kids Mm -hmm. and parents, and then a lot of after school programs and summer camps. Some of it I taught and some of it I designed and conceptualized and hired teachers to teach. Mm. And then I also moved into then running adult programs. So a lot of lectures and hands-on workshops. And the funny thing is I actually don't like going to lectures at all. <laughs> like <laughs> I find them really tedious. So I was always looking for ways to not run a lecture, but run a lecture. Right. <laughs> so Like make it more interactive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just trying my best. What were the methods that you came up with there? Uh, For not running lectures. Yeah, Um, for like, (laughs) yeah, making a lecture sort of more exciting or more interactive. Yeah, I guess trying to do more small group things, you know, Mm -hmm. so like there'd be some amazing speaker and then it would more facilitate kind of small group demonstrations Mm -hmm. or, you know, smaller workshops or going on more site visits and tours Mm -hmm. and also just interesting pairings and groupings of people. That was another Mm -hmm. kind of strategy, just putting together interesting people on a stage. Like if you did have to do a lecture with people sitting on a stage, like what, what could be a really cool grouping that you could put together? Yeah. I remember after the big earthquake in Haiti, which I'm forgetting what year that was, 2009 maybe, there was my boss at the Cooper Hewitt was like, we need to do something about this because there's so much about sort of design and architecture that's really impacting the recovery efforts and like, the mm-hmm. devastation there. So I put together this really cool panel. I, I thought I was really excited about it. That was uh, people who worked in disaster response, like NGOs, people who were like on the ground and like coordinating efforts to just respond to disaster. Mm-hmm. And then I found this amazing grad student who was a Haitian studying in upstate New York at I think RIT mm-hmm. and working in um, architecture and design and structural engineering. And so he was like, oh yeah, I'd love to come. So he came down on the bus and joined yeah. the panel. And we had just had this great conversation about how designers can really impact and shape disaster preparedness and and recovery from disasters too. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of stuff was really fun where it was like, okay, here's a topic, find some people, go, yeah. <laughs> you know? Pretty, pretty interesting. And then also just really fun too to like get to create really interesting kinds of family programs that were very different from maybe what the usual kind of craft activities. Mm -hmm. 
I remember getting to work with this amazing graphic designer and illustrator, Mike Kelly, who at the time had his sort of big claim to fame was he'd written a book called Hand Job. (laughs) It was was all about hand lettering with this sort of like really funny title. And so I had to introduce him to this room full of families like, this is Mike Kelly, the author of Hand Job. (laughs) (laughs) But we did this cool activity where the kids like designed houses using the shapes of of letters like alphabet Mm. letters and it was really super fun so yeah just it was yeah a great time kind of being in New York and getting to work in that arena for sure yeah yeah I was in New York in the early 2000s and remember like I took kids on field trips to the Center for Architecture oh nice their programming awesome that was probably cool programming (laughs) yes I want I was thinking like hmm, maybe we crossed paths then yeah (laughs) That's really cool. I guess it was 2005 to seven-ish. Oh my, that's exactly when I was yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's really funny. Yeah, it was a, that space was amazing because it had been built as like the AIA's kind of like a membership space. Like mm-hmm. they were, and they kind of debated a bunch, like, should it just be a clubhouse or should it be a public engaging space? Mm-hmm. And the crew that wanted it to be a public engagement space won. And then so they built it and then they were like, and now we don't know how to get the public here. <laughs> <laughs> so when I came on board there, they had like kind of a really small education team with not a lot of experience. And they were just kind of doing like, you know, their sort of usual things, but they hadn't really gotten very far off this mark yet in terms of like mm-hmm. real deep public engagement. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do a summer camp program. Like, let's do after school. Like, let's, you know, and the monthly family programs were things that I started there. And they were huge. It was like we expected maybe 10 families and we'd have 100 families show up. Wow. And they were so fun. It was like, you know, lighting design for kids. Mm -hmm. and Like, you know, design your own school and just really fun and open-ended kind of projects. And it was never just all like architects and their kids either, which was nice. It was always a nice mixture of people. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm so glad you were there and kind of got to experience that great space. It was really a fun place to work. Yeah, it was beautiful. I was working at the Bronx River Art Center and brought in a friend I actually went to undergrad with who Mm -hmm. was an architect, but was like just interested in teaching. So Mm -hmm. he was help he and another. So he was an architect, a visual artist was like collaborating with him on this class. And he suggested going to visit the Center for Architecture. So I remember going down with I think it was, you know, like these two guys, this yeah. artist and architect, and then uh-huh. a group of high school kids from the Bronx. Oh, that's awesome. Who were just like loving seeing all the different little models and so cool. Um, getting to kind of like pick the brains of other architects and yeah. and yeah. talk about like how do we actually, you know, career issues. I feel like that's yeah. huge for especially in high school. Like how do we yeah. get to be in this career if this is something we're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just kind of playing around with materials Mm -hmm. that they maybe didn't see before. Like, yeah, I guess you were talking about a little bit different from a lot of other museum Mm -hmm. programs where Mm -hmm. it's kind of like craft materials. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I loved that it was more sort of professional materials. And then also this connection to careers and connection to like real design problems. Yes. Yeah. 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 Really. I mean, I, I've, that's kind of been a sort of, you know, in all my sort of education work that I've done, like in teaching, I've always loved teaching, especially at the K through 12 level, teaching like design thinking and sort of mm-hmm. getting kids excited about the idea that like they have the power to, you know, they don't like their backpack, they can design a better one. 
know, Mm -hmm. like there's real opportunities for change there, which is, I think, really exciting for kids. Yeah. I sort of jumped past it, but I did actually, when I was in grad school, I was a middle school and high school teacher. (laughs) Ah. I was like a four tenths teacher. So I taught two full days a week at a charter school in Alameda. Mm -hmm. And when I got the job, they're like, we just need some elective classes. You can teach whatever you want. (laughs) Wow. So I did end up teaching a like a design and architecture class because I got there and I met some of the kids and they're like, we can't draw. We're scared of drawing. We hate drawing. So I was like, all right, well, you know, let's do something different. Like, let's just try this and see what this is about. And they they totally had such a blast. We did a whole unit kind of designing cities where I gave everyone a currently inhospitable location, like someplace where humans don't live. Mm-hmm. And they had to design a city for that location. And that was a multi-week project and really fun with like 7th through 12th graders. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And then how did you shift into where you are now? Yeah. So when I moved back to California, I started working at CCA where I'd gone to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I worked in career development, which was probably my most favorite job because I just, I really like the energy of career development where people are like, I have a concrete problem right now that I need to solve. And then yeah. you give people a bunch of ideas of how to solve that problem, like get a job, find you know art opportunities, make a website, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they do it. And then they come back and they thank you for your help. And you didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, other than like, you know, give them the ideas and the motivation and that kind of stuff. But it's like, I, I loved it. It was so much fun because it was really gratifying. It was exciting to see what people did next. Mm-hmm. And I just loved all the conversations about, well, what do you want to do? And what are you, you know, good at? And mm-hmm. But kind of throughout that experience, I kept hearing myself tell all these alumni and students, you know, just keep making art, keep making art a part of your life. Like if that's what you love, keep doing it. And then at a certain point, I was like, I haven't made art for 12 years. Uh, I literally haven't even like cracked open a sketchbook. And I was kind of like, and I feel like I was pretty good. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. I think I should try again. So I cheated a little bit. And I put a piece that I'd made in grad school into a a show, like a local show call. I mean, the rules were like, it had to be a recent piece. And I was like, well, I framed it recently. So, you know, it counts. There was the piece was selected for next year to have a a small solo show in the gallery. Mm -hmm. It was like a community award or whatever. And I was like, okay, I have to make at least four more pieces, you know, because it's a small little like solo pop-up thing. Yeah. And they, they should probably be in this style because that's what got picked. Right. And this was a piece that I made 12 years ago. So let's see what happens. And it was like hitting unpause on a tape recorder, mm-hmm. a conversation that I'd been having. It felt really actually pretty easy to get back into that way of working, mm-hmm. which was like cutting things up, things that had a lot of already in, a lot of effort kind of already put into them, like a lot of papers that were painted and printed cutting them up and finding the magical moments and then putting them back together again and drawing and painting on top of them. And so, you know, I got back into it and I was like, well, I I can't stop now. (laughs) Like, I have to keep doing this. And, you know, my time in career development, I'd learned a lot of strategies about how to actually make it as an artist. I knew I would have to have a pretty wide range of things that I could do Mm -hmm. in order to make money and make a living and also just get my work out there into the world. So and I also just gave myself a really generous timeline, you know, telling myself you can have as much time as you want, or as much Mm -hmm. time as you need until your income from art exceeds any income you could make from a part time job. So it's kind of like my threshold point that I put out there for myself. And then I just committed to only working part time jobs. 
so that mm-hmm. I could have enough time to make art. So it was a bit of a shift because I'd, you know, I'd been like an executive director and a program director and kind of pretty high level in the world of museum education. And then it got to the point after like five years where I was working the front desk as a ticket taker, you know, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like really successfully demoted myself at work, <laughs> like, oh. you know, but it felt okay. Cause I knew that I was in service of the art career. Like that was mm-hmm. the, the point. The job was taking too much energy or too much time away from making art. And I needed to find something else. Mm-hmm. So in around that time that I sort of made that, that pivot, I was like, okay, well, I'd love to see what teaching art feels like. I you know, was kind of curious about teaching art to adults, like something that I had not done before. Yeah. And I had met this really awesome artist who was a program director in Walnut Creek at the Center for Community Arts, Maureen McCourt, who's like super amazing artist, fiber and textiles. Mm-hmm. And Maureen was like, yeah, let's just try it. I'll give you some teaching assignments. Let's try a class out and see how it goes. And I, you know, it was like, okay, well, let's just go. And so I had my first collage class with a group of adults and I mm-hmm. was replacing another teacher who'd been there for a long time. So they were all kind of like, where's, you know, Frank or oh. I forget what his name was. So there was a little bit of animosity at the beginning. But eventually I won everybody over <laughs> and like it took some time. I had pretty low enrollment classes for quite a while. And I taught two classes back to back. I ta- taught like a, a collage class and then I taught um, a class called Adventures in Mixed Media that I also kind mm-hmm. of inherited. And most of my students, because I taught during the weekday, uh, during the day when my daughter was at school. So my students tend to be, you know, either like retired or just they were moms themselves and their kids were at school. Mm -hmm. So it tended to be an interesting mixture of people who had like enough sort of flexibility to take a class on a Wednesday morning. Right. It was really, I mean, it was an interesting experience because it it helped me so much figure out my own process and kind of the way I work Mm -hmm. and a lot of really interesting strategies to help other people kind of like find entry points into art making Mm -hmm. and creativity. I had a lot of feelings like, how am I ever going to teach anyone to like collage or paint? These are things I just do. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting to see that kind of exchange with students of showing them a project, you know, like let's spend today looking at one color and like just do a single color collage. How does that change the way you think about form and composition? And it was, you know, just really great to kind of have that exchange with students. And I found that I really loved teaching adults. It was especially exciting where like people who'd had whole other careers and like, you know, they'd raised families and they were done with that. And they were like, now it's yeah. my time. Yeah. <laughs> And for a lot of them, they'd have these breakthroughs and they just feel so good about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, I am so happy with this piece. You know, and it was like, always, I'm going to frame this piece and put it up in my own home. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and that just, that was amazing. It felt really good to get to just create that space for people to have that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel like that shifted your own making at all or impacted your own art making? Yeah. In kind of subtle ways and also kind of bigger ways. I mean, it definitely helped me really see the uniqueness to my own work. Because here I was teaching adults collage, which is a medium that you'd think like, okay, like maybe, you know, this is pretty easy and accessible. But I realized, you know, just like how unique everyone's voices are, even in the medium of collage, which is really very affirming and interesting to see. 
I ended up doing a lot of pieces as like teaching demos kind of like live on the spot while teaching um, yeah. people kind of watching that I was like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I really love that. It's almost because it's like you have to turn off the part of your brain that's critical because you just have to make it quickly while people are, you know, observing you. Right. And I so I ended up making a lot of things there that I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this for a while. This is pretty great. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's also just a lot of really fun things too, like exchanging other pa- painted papers with other students in the class. Mm. You know, they'd be like, oh, Aaron, we know you love this color of green. So we've, we found all these papers and brought them for you. Uh, that's you know, right. and we'd like realize too at a certain point, it was like nobody put anything in the trash, just put it on the table over there mm-hmm. because everyone wants to pick through the trash. <laughs> so like, <laughs> and then, then when we're done, then we'll put it in the recycling bin. But like there's this kind of great collaborative community. And I mean, I have students now who have taken classes with me for all five years that I've been teaching. They just come back again and again and again. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's really about this community of people who mm-hmm. want to just make art and explore color and form. And they're attracted to my kind of abstract, brightly colored work and just enjoy that way of working. And then with that in mind, do you shift your classes? Like as a teacher in schools, mm-hmm. I rotate through the grades, but I'm yeah. if I did, sometimes I do a similar project with like kindergarten and first grade. They're going to uh-huh. do almost the same thing, slightly adjusted for age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, I have to rotate this next year so they don't repeat the same project. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering about that with repeat students. Do oh, you, yeah. <laughs> do you, ha- does that mean you're kind of constantly reinventing or shifting your plans, your curricula? Yeah, I kind of have to. I mean, cause it's like the majority, I mean, it's like if I have, you know, 15 students in a class, 12 of them will be students that have taken cl- multiple classes with me and three mm-hmm. of them will be new students who've never right. taken a class with me. So it's like I have to do new things all the time. Yeah. So pre-pandemic, I was most of the art centers where I taught classes at the community art centers would teach on a quarterly schedule. Mm-hmm. So I came up with a three-class rotation so that it would always be off one quarter. Mm-hmm. So if someone could only take a class in the summer, it would be a different class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at least for a while. So I would do a composition and collage, color theory and collage, and then my painted paper class is just like all the different ways to make interesting papers and kind of teach those in rotation. And then occasionally bring in my mixed media class. It's just whatever I feel like doing that day. <laughs> now teaching online in the pandemic, I've switched to a little bit of a different model where I have a big repertoire now of collage artists, contemporary and historical and I'll mm-hmm. use their work as kind of a, a jumping off point because now that, you know, with online classes, I can actually show other artists work because <laughs> like, yeah. none of the community art centers where I teach, like they don't have projectors, they don't have TVs, there's like mm. no technology at all. You're lucky if the tables and chairs are set up. Right. <laughs> and uh, so it's nice to actually be like, okay, let's like take a deep dive and look at Kurt Schwitter's work today, or let's mm. look at Anne Ryan and then use that as a starting point for making your own projects. So that's kind of how I keep it fresh now. But then Mm -hmm. certain art centers, like with Arts Benicia, where I'm teaching right now, I have a a nice group of students who are very consistent. And I I found a good formula on the suggestion of one of my students, actually, where we do a class called Building a Body of Work. Mm. And then I rotate that with a little bit more of a process-oriented class. So the one coming up is called 
called accidental beauty and mm. it's all monoprint techniques to make interesting collage papers. Yeah. The one before that was called start with a mark that was basically like doodling and then making that into something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, certain places also, depending on the students and the rotation of students and their feedback will kind of create little models that work. Mm-hmm. But I do always like to try things out too. And there's a lot of it based on student feedback that like this last class, I just finished the color theory class. There were so many really interesting, intriguing questions about just painting and applying paint mm-hmm. and a lot of students finding frustration with their paint application processes. Because for a lot of adults, the last time they painted was kindergarten. <laughs> right. And it was a very like inexpensive box of watercolors. And so now they're, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, we'll buy some, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Like the conversations you have with students where they're like, well, I don't know what colors to buy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like that's a problem I've never had at the art supply store. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, and it's interesting to kind of then like really help students find strategies for what are your favorite colors. And, mm-hmm. you know, they end up buying such vivid, intense colors always, which is so interesting to me. I'm like, you know, like I, I can see your house in the background of your Zoom and it's all neutrals and like you're wearing <laughs> neutrals. Like, why did you just go and buy this like electric purple at the art supply store? And then you're sad because the color is too intense and like, you know, right. so it's just like, oh. yeah, it's really funny. It's so interesting unpacking people's relationship to color and like mm-hmm. trying to help them see it in different ways. And adults are, you know, they're very critical, very self-critical, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, kids are too, but like, you know, they have a lot of like, it should look like this and I'm not there yet. So I'm just really Mm -hmm. frustrated. I still have that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the whole artistic journey right there. It's like your taste level is higher than your skill level. Always. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they... For me, anyway, they're moving mm-hmm. at like a similar pace, mm-hmm. so they'll never meet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, totally. That's a good. Yeah, it's like a yeah a bar graph where they're just both going up at the same time, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh man, yeah. <laughs> can't, can't quite get there. Like, I can't I'm at my up. taste level of three years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's it's so interesting thinking about the colors like that. Mm-hmm. I've actually because of the pandemic been also teaching an adult class via Mm -hmm. Zoom. Mm -hmm. So I have this 55 and up class Mm -hmm. and we've done a lot of watercolor because they keep asking for watercolor. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved like my favorite lessons are always the sort of abstract, just playing with color, mixing colors. And I feel it with teaching kids or, you know, in this class as well, teaching Mm -hmm. them how complementary colors work and that like, Yes, if it's really bright and you don't want it quite so bright, like uh-huh. you can dull it just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Like this is this magic. <laughs> it is. It is like magic. It's revelatory mm-hmm. for people. They're like, this is amazing. You know, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. I have uh, yeah, one student who is a self-described frustrated painter. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. I think she'd been a lawyer in her previous life, was retired. And she started taking a collage class to make. She's like, I just have so many bad paintings. I need to cut them up. And I was like, great, you're in the right place. But she would make these copious notes about her process all the time, which is so interesting and so opposite of the way I work. 
And I'm just kind of fascinated. Like she would document the different layers and make Xerox copies and photographs and tracings Mm -hmm. and notes about the color mixing. And it was really interesting to watch the way she figured out how to be an artist from this very different perspective of art making. But she's had these incredible breakthroughs and asked me the other day to help her curate a little online show for her church community to share with them what she's been working on. And we were looking at it and I was like, Madeline, you have like a hundred pieces of art here like yeah. that you've made in like six months. These are wow. really good. You know, like, yeah, it's really amazing just to see. I don't know. I just love when someone just gets bit hard by the art bug mm. and are just deep into it. You know, and she'd also taken sculpture classes at College of Marin and just been really pushing herself in deep, neat directions too. But there's, you know, there's just a lot of students that are just such like a joy to get to work with and hear about their process and what they're, how they're working on things. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really lucky actually that I have so many students that take classes with me for so many years. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) amazing to see that progression. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like elementary teachers can maybe Mm -hmm. relate to that, seeing the kids keep coming up. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, Especially if you get to cycle through the grades and it's like, oh, I remember you from kindergarten. Here you are in fourth grade. It's like, yeah, that's really magical too to kind of see Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's really cool. And kind of going back to that idea of, I mean, I almost think of it as like creative block Mm -hmm. that all ages get that at some point. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like what you said about, you know, adults often being kind of closed or just stuck, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, want it to look this way and it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do you, as a teacher, help people get past that? Yeah, I think I have some little mantras that I always tell students and then they repeat back to me, which I think is really cute and really funny. Yeah. So I always tell them it's just paper and perfection can always be farther down the process. Like this might be step, you know, three, but there might be like 30 more steps in this in this piece to make it where you want it to be. Right. And so you should just keep going. Maybe also you're just learning something about the way things work in this piece. And this isn't the finished one. And, you know, Mm -hmm. turn the page and keep going, like make the second one or the third one and Mm -hmm. see what happens. But yeah, I I try to like, you know, with all the students, especially if I know they're kind of struggling with like finding things that they're excited to kind of keep working on, we try to sort of find like, well, what is it they're really, you know, what are their things that they're really excited about? And maybe Mm -hmm. it's, they would love to make, you know, more art that includes flowers, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just really excited about, they're also like gardeners or, you know, they have like other kinds of projects they really love, like, okay, well, what are ways that we can play with like flowers and abstraction and, you know, kind of those wonderful botanical forms and colors? And what would that kind of look like for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody always has some, even if they don't recognize it, there's always some really interesting kernel of like a great idea in there. And it's, you know, I think really one of the fun, amazing jobs of being an art teacher is getting to sort of spot that and be like, oh, right there, like, that's really good. Like, do more of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really exciting thing to kind of it's like you're just like everyone's art cheerleader you know you're kind of just like encouraging them and like finding the things you're like that's great more of that please and I think you know people don't get enough of that in their life so it's like why not do that in their art class (laughs) yes Uh, I love that the art cheerleader (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah and that's a great like I feel like I talk about here this, you know, the the method of teaching mm-hmm. labeled teaching for artistic behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I try I was like starting to shift towards before the pandemic. And then remote teaching just kind of pushed me back to more project based teacher designed work, which I'm trying to find this balance, like, how do I do this remotely, but still have a lot of choice? 
Yeah. And just being, I mean, I feel like that idea of the art cheerleader that you're really seeing like, what are your students interested in and how can you push them forward in that, like encourage that. Mm -hmm. And then I love this idea of picking out the things that you see that are working well in what they're doing and just helping them see that as well. Like I think Sometimes that's where we get stuck as artists, where yes. you know we get stuck or students get stuck, is being so hard on yourself, not recognizing those moments where you're doing something amazing. For sure. Yeah. And that's also, I think, also was my job in career coaching, too, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah. you know, listening to people talk about their interests and skill sets and being like, well, that's great. It sounds like what you're saying you want to do is this or mm-hmm. Just kind of that reflecting back for people where their real strong gifts are and where Mm. their real strong interest is, which is, I think, the magic formula for finding success moving forward and also just finding happiness with making art and being creative. Yeah. And I love that too. The idea of like perfection could be down the road. Yeah. (laughs) That one of the things I tell myself often is perfect is the enemy of done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Finish something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, make lots of things. Right. Uh And yeah, keeping it open, keeping this idea that like, I can say it's done now and I can always come back and do something to it later or, you know, with other, you know, with like sending an email or whatever, like if I have a typo, who cares? Like, (laughs) just just get it out there. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the things that's fascinating to me too about teaching adults is there's a lot of interest and anxiety about things being archival. Mm, yeah. Which I think is really probably different than kids. <laughs> you don't yeah. think about like, well, will this work last for 20 years? But with adults, they're like, well, is this glue archival? Is this paper archival? Is this going to last? And part of me is always wants to be like, well, just make it. Right. And, you know, like, and maybe the archival, you know, part of it is the like documentation or the print of this piece. You know, there's lots of artists that make things out of ephemeral materials and then they, you know, photograph it and document it and that's the permanent record. And part of me is just like, well, you know, does your art need to exist in a hundred years? Like, you know, who knows? I mean, not to be rude, but like, it's totally great to just make things now and be like, they might not last. That's okay. Yeah. You know, it's about the experience of making it and like, you know, it's not going to fall apart immediately unless you use a glue stick, which I'm very anti-glue stick, but that's, Uh. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Do you want to peel it off the notebook in three weeks? Then go ahead and use that glue stick. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Working with kids, glue sticks are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like what was sent out in the little art yeah. kit. It's and, so challenging. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm always like, you know, this is not really archival, but yeah, El- yeah. Elmer's glue all, if you're going to go with like yes. a school mm-hmm. glue, mm-hmm. not even the school glue, because that's not as no. good. Like yeah. Elmer's glue all is the thing. It is. Yeah, it works <laughs> if great. You, if you don't want to get yes paste. Yeah, no, just <laughs> far superior. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the archival question comes up a lot with adults. And then also the, the sort of fear of gluing the like, is this done yet? I don't want to stop moving the papers around. Yeah. And that sort of glue anxiety, which is where I have to keep telling them it's just paper. And you could glue it down and then you could cut it up again and re-glue them like it's fine. So yeah, like just just finishing things is really hard. I think for adults, they have like, which is also different with kids. Like the the handful of times I still go in and teach a group of kids and I'll have like a couple of projects, you know, in the bag. And then they have done all four projects I've planned in 15 (laughs) minutes. And I'm like, oh man, like... (laughs) 
(laughs) So different than working with adults where I go in there with four projects. They're like, we're not done with the first one yet. We need more time, you know? like, (laughs) Yeah. So it's really, it's just a different, it's a different set of questions and it's sort of a different set of worries about the art making process, right? Because everyone's got Mm -hmm. things they worry about, but it's just, it's, they're all things I enjoy kind of talking with people about and figuring out and helping them kind of manage sort of strategies to get um, past those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. The archival question is a really interesting one because I feel like I'm not even good about right. (laughs) It's something I'm having to think more about now as I'm actually, you know, working with galleries and trying to sell work. It's like, Uh wait, you know, if somebody buys this and it like disintegrates in five years, they're probably not going to be too happy about that. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's a question definitely that's like worthy, but when you're yeah, I feel like when you're in the class and you're mm-hmm. there just to experiment and learn and kind of figure things out, like mm-hmm. that should not be at the front of your mind. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's too just trying to shift people to, especially in collage from like using very cheap magazine paper for a lot of mm-hmm. things. So I'm like, that is not probably going to be archival and newsprint, right. definitely not. Like you're right. going to need to scan it or photograph it if you want it to last forever, but you should still make it. Yeah. <laughs> just know that that's maybe not gonna you know the colors won't stay exactly the same and then things will shift and change so yeah or then like harnessing that like do you yeah. want it to be about this change right hey listeners i'm jumping in here because i have an ask of you If you are enjoying the show, I would so appreciate your support. I'm humbled and grateful for all the interest in this show over the past several months and for the messages I've received letting me know that this podcast has resonated with you. It has been so inspiring to hear from you. Thank you. This podcast does take time, effort, and resources to share with you every week. And I want to, I plan to, keep it going and stay focused on highlighting and inspiring artists who teach while also continuing to grow this community and dreaming up additional ways to help you. One way to accomplish this is through direct listener support. Your support would really help the show and community grow. So I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take less than 60 seconds. It's at anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support. You can contribute one, five, or $10 per month. If Teaching Artist Podcast is a part of your week and you love what we're doing, please consider visiting anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support, or just clicking the link in the show notes and supporting us in any way that you can today. I would love to, I feel like we have a little bit, but I would love to talk Mm -hmm. more about your work and Mm -hmm. maybe you've described it a bit, but maybe if you could describe your work and 
even sort of go into the thought process behind or the concepts behind your work? Yeah. I actually had like a professor and when I was in grad school, I took a lot of undergrad fine art classes while I was there. And this one professor was like, well, none of your work is finished yet. You should bring everything in, all the things you feel really precious about that you've been kind of hoarding and saving, all of your papers. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know you have them. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Bring them in. I want you to cut them all up, reassemble Uh, them and draw and paint on top of them, which I like had no idea at the time that he was like giving me the formula for like how to make art that like mm -hmm. felt really good for me to make. But I did that first piece and I was like, yeah, this feels right. (laughs) And I think because in a lot of ways I have kind of like an art restoration approach almost to my making. Mm. I'm freakishly good at color mixing paint. Like I can just look at a piece of paper and come up with the exact same color really easily on my palette. It's like a weird talent that I'm like, I really should have been an art restorer. Like this is, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny to my students. I was like, how did you do that? And I'm like, that's the one thing I really can't tell you. Like I just, I can look at a color (laughs) and break it down to its parts in paint Mm -hmm. in my head really easily. So the fun part for me is making a lot of messy kind of bad paintings in the service of then good collage later, mm. mixing in lots of interesting kind of elements. I love kind of mixing in cyanotypes and prints and, you know, old postcards and, you know, kinds of bits of photographs. I love photographs that are like overexposed or like the color mm. corrections wrong. And then getting to then play with the idea of almost like bringing that forward and kind of glorifying that bad color correction Mm. with the paint and the drawn lines and kind of piecing things together again. There's definitely kind of a theme of fragmentation and pulling things back together. My forms always kind of echo landscapes. There's a lot of white space, which is the expansiveness, looking Mm. at the sky. As an undergrad, I studied uh, traditional brush painting in Japan which is all about white space (laughs) and also just about like the certainty of movements. Like you'd spend a whole month painting bamboo so that you could paint bamboo without thinking about painting bamboo. Mm. You're just like building that muscle memory because it's with ink on very Mm. absorbent paper, the rice paper. So the second you put your brush down, you have to keep moving or else you're going to get a big blob of ink. Mm -hmm. So I think that really honed my way of thinking about art where I'm very decisive and we'll just be like, okay, let's glue it. Let's put it together. It's ready to go. Definitely my work too always starts with color is like sort of the main inspiration point. Like I put together big stacks of of color of all my papers that are all have like a color story together. And then recently I've kind of moved to actually building the collages not on flat pieces of paper, but actually more sculptural because I love those piles of paper so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort of starting point of assembling all of the colors and all the papers was just so joyful that I have been figuring out ways to actually create three-dimensional collages that are kind of floating off the wall where the papers are just kind of connected to each other. Yeah. And so that's been really fun to figure out. Yeah. So there's always this kind of really upfront effort that is just about collecting, finding, amassing things. I think during the pandemic, I'm trying to really be I've tried to be more mindful about using my current paper stash. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as a teaching artist, I'm like always generating more paper just as demos and like, you know, you know, color samples and kind of different things I'm sort of showing about painting techniques. So yeah, whenever I think I have a commission and someone's like, oh, we need these colors. I I always think I have to make a lot more papers. And then I just go into my paper stash. and I'm like, oh, I have tons. (laughs) I'm fine. So (laughs) and I'm looking at some of the more sort of sculptural or Mm -hmm. like Yeah, those paper pieces that are emerging from the wall. Are you using any, are you using 
like bits of foam core or anything in between or is it all just the layers there's um they have a strip of uh, redwood across the back Mm -hmm. just like a thin lightweight piece of wood and then I just build them kind of from the top down so that they have this sort of like structure to them but there's no other kind of spacers between them Mm -hmm. and then yeah I just I cut out the pieces to kind of create just this kind of like architecture of paper and color and and forms yeah and they're all I assemble them all with tape first Mm -hmm. and then I go in and glue them which is always a little bit like I hope this works right (laughs) I put it together really nicely. Let's see if I can figure out how to glue it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like puzzle it back together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I feel like it's so interesting to hear those little peeks into an artist's process. Mm-hmm. That idea of like, okay, sort of assemble it, use tape to hold it together while you're looking at it. And then are, yeah. I'm imagining you kind of shifting things around a bit. Like, yeah. Looking at it being like, hmm, stepping back. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, all of the back and forth that goes on in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, it's a lot of the earlier kind of large landscape pieces too. It's like I put all the papers down, all the colors I wanted to use. I just kind of enjoy that for a moment. It's, you know, also Mm -hmm. when my daughter was younger and I just had like less kind of large spans of time. So Mm -hmm. things are more pieced out (laughs) just based on whenever I had half an hour. Um, So it's like, okay, half an hour one is like find all the colors. And then half an hour Uh two is like cut everything up. And then half an hour three is like you know, start assembling or, you know, thinking about composition. And then like that might take a couple of days of kind of like walking by the table whenever I had time and moving things around. And then it would be like, okay, I need to find 45 minutes to glue. (laughs) Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then always sort of the fun part with those pieces, those earlier landscape pieces too, is then the like going back in and painting and drawing on top of them and just kind of Mm -hmm. that like really quiet color matching and finding mm-hmm. little forms and shapes within the pieces of paper that I wanted to really draw out and things that I wanted to edit and kind of push back. And it's, yeah, it's fun. I'm really, I really enjoy the art I'm making right now. It's all really fun stuff. That's amazing. I love that, <laughs> you know, getting to that point. And I love also, like you talked about this sort of fragmentation, but then how there's thinking of the right word, like the the white space that you create, that you get, like mm-hmm. it gives this almost like there's this structure to the fragmentation. Mm-hmm. And even the way, you know, in the the more sort of, I'm going to keep calling them sort of sculptural pieces. Yeah. <laughs> like the way the wall functions there is almost the same as that where it's yeah, like the forms, the shapes that exist around the edges. Uh-huh. You know, the space of the wall becomes really important there. Oh, for it's sure. Like yeah. Expanse. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right now, it's like they all have kind of that sort of straight line across the top, which feels important. Mm-hmm. And then kind of because then you really get to see the edges and the kind of hanging shapes at the bottom. Yeah. Which kind of also was thinking too about sort of like aerial root structures, like the plants mm. that just make their roots in air, like, you know, orchids uh, are a nice mm. example of that, or like any of those amazing trees in swampland where they're just like, okay, well, here's our root structure hanging down in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And just those amazing kind of walls and shapes that are created by those structures as well. Yeah, it's so interesting how many, you know, it's abstract, but there's so mm-hmm. many ideas that come out of this just yeah. thing, you know, yeah. just like dripping these, you know, roots and leaves and branches hanging down. Yeah. 
And I even imagine like, I kind of try to flip my head or like, I imagine (laughs) turning it upside down and Uh it becomes this like mountainous landscape. Oh, fun. We will have to build one that way. That'd be fun. Yeah. (laughs) See what that looks like. Yeah. The cool thing about those two, and especially the work I've been doing over the last, I would say year and a half too, definitely kind of pandemic related was a lot of those pieces are like include painted papers and printed papers from students Mm. And like from other artists that I, you know, know and collaborate with. So, I mean, for me too, that's one of the other really magical things about working with collage and paper is that like you get to like work with these things that like have passed through someone else's hands or like they, Mm -hmm. you know, include their effort in making them. And I really love that. It's like I look at these pieces now, I'm like, oh, there's that beautiful, you know, paper from Laurel and there's that gorgeous thing from Rose and Meredith's beautiful paper here and Holly's. And it's, it's just really neat to kind of like... For me, like looking at them, they feel almost like having friends in the studio where you have all those kind of wonderful connections to other people out there in the pieces. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. One of my students, Virginia, her definition of a scrap is uh, much bigger than what I define as a paper scrap (laughs) because I like save everything. Yeah. And hers, she says a different threshold of what scrap means. So as she's been working, she just creates piles of what for her is a scrap and for me is like total gold mine. Wow. And then she mails them to me periodically. And I'm like, yes, more painted paper it. from Virginia. You know, oh. like, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's really fun because even my really tiny, tiny scraps, I then use those to make earrings. I make little collage earrings, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like I don't, I hate to get rid of anything. If it has a beautiful color on it that's been painted or printed on there, like I, I want to keep saving it and keep using it until there's like nothing left you know so Uh, I love that and the earrings are gorgeous thank Um, you yeah they're really fun yeah and that I was going to ask because I love getting into kind of the business side of things yeah and I also love that you created your income pie chart oh yeah (laughs) yeah it's so interesting to see those I feel like Uh mine right now would be like 99% teaching yeah (laughs) mine would not be very interesting (laughs) yeah But it's really interesting to see and even, you know, sharing like a few years, like Mm -hmm, how it's mm -hmm. shifted. Yes. I'm wondering if you would have tips or advice on artists, because, you know, just looking like you have teaching, art sales, commissions, Uh licensed prints, collage papers, all these, Uh you know, mentoring, (laughs) honoraria, video lessons. Uh (laughs) It's, It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you'd have tips on kind of managing all of that, but also like really sort of nitty gritty things like how do you you know, set up these licensed prints? How do you mm-hmm. sort of get partnerships with businesses or brands? Yeah. Any of those kind of tips? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, sort of the biggest tip is just having a, a wide, like a pretty diverse kind of source of income streams mm-hmm. is really nice and really lovely to kind of get towards. I mean, you know, it's more challenging to do if you have a full-time teaching job. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a really big thing just to juggle on top of art making. Yeah. there's That's a lot of work. So, but if you're kind of wanting to do more of like my kind of, you know, buffet approach to career, which is like <laughs> a little bit of everything. Right. Um, yeah. So any one of my pie charts, if they disappeared, like, you know, I would still be fine, basically. Mm-hmm. Like I try and make it sort of evenly spaced so that I'm not 
wholly depend on any one income stream. Right. And, uh, you know, year to year, one income stream might get bigger than another. And that's fine. Like you just, you can weather that easier if you have more diverse kind of income streams coming in. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess, you know, I've been at this for a while and my collage style tends to be pretty unique and distinctive. So Mm -hmm. I'm lucky that people come to me now with, you know, commission requests pretty Mm -hmm. frequently, which I love, especially when people are like, oh, we want you to include, you know, these photographs or these postcards or you know, this fabric that's meaningful to us. It's always a really interesting process. Mm-hmm. I've worked with Minted for a lot of years, which has been a great relationship. Like I started just entering an art competition with them online, which they have open art competitions frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's very competitive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like a 3% acceptance rate. Uh it's kind of bananas when you think about like how much work gets submitted because there's it's no there's no fee to submit work mm-hmm. and you can submit usually unlimited numbers of things so but it's mm-hmm. you know they only pick a very small number of pieces and artists to reproduce and print their work but i went that way too because i didn't really want to get into my own print reproduction and i still am very hesitant to do that but through minted is mostly where i've gotten a lot of other kind of licensing deals and opportunities yeah like they've you know, gotten my work into West Elm and on the Samsung frame TV, which is fun. Yeah. And yeah, so that's been a really good relationship. But I know it's not like attainable for everyone. It's challenging Mm -hmm. to get there. I mean, I think, you know, honestly, like my biggest secret is I just apply for a lot of things. And I I go into every year with the mindset of like, I'm going to get to 50 rejections. Yeah. I keep a, a spreadsheet too, so I can like write down every time I get rejected and be like, all right, I'm at yeah. 28, you know, like, <laughs> so that when there are acceptances, I'm like, oh, that's a pleasant surprise. Like, how nice, you know, but it just feels good to kind of be like, I got to apply for a lot of things. So I want to get those 50 rejections. Yeah, definitely putting myself out there a lot for things. And then also, if you do get a request or a, an outreach from a company doing like the research and trying to figure out, is this a good place for my art? Does this feel like it'll be an important, you know, useful relationship or is it more work? up front that I need to. Early on, there was a couple companies I worked with on licensing deals that never went anywhere. And I put in a lot mm. of work and effort into it. Right. And and I'm I'm still like a little annoyed with myself that I didn't like do better research on that, you know, mm. to figure out is this actually going to pay off? Yeah. But I think my, my experience with Minted was so good that I've just been like very open to working with a lot of different companies and to kind of see like, well, let's see what happens, you know? Mm. <laughs> and even if initially, if it's only a couple hundred bucks a month, like great, that's a couple hundred bucks a month that I already did the work to make the art and get it reproduced. So cool. Yeah, that's great. And with Minted, did you apply several times before you got in or was it kind of? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think I'd applied at least two or three for like a couple Mm -hmm. of art competitions. And I was only doing Mm -hmm. art competitions at first too, because I was like, I don't even know how to use Adobe Illustrator. Like it scares me. And now I've gotten over that. And so (laughs) I've entered some of the surface design and greeting Mm -hmm. card challenges. But yeah, I was just doing art where you could just like take a really good picture and upload it and be like, okay, let's see what happens. But yeah, it was, I did. I tried a couple of times and to also just look and see like, okay, well, what's, what does well on Minted? Like what are their top sellers? Like what do mm-hmm. I have that I've made that kind of would be different, but also kind of fit with what they're, they're offering? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like one of my top sellers on Minted is a piece called Indigo Ink that mm-hmm. looks nothing like what I sort of offer usually as my art, but it's like the stuff that I do is like the, the sort of making of the papers for the collage is just the mm-hmm. like... I kind of stopped there at the paper yeah, because um, it was really lovely, just the application of the indigo on that paper. It was in a batch of like 15 things I put into that particular competition. 
Mm-hmm. And I was really pleasantly surprised that that was the one that got picked. So. Huh. Yeah, I love the advice, though, of just applying for a lot of things. And yeah. <laughs> that 50 rejections goal is uh-huh. such a great way to frame it, I feel like, because, yeah. you know, I have a spreadsheet as well, and I uh-huh. like, track my rejections. But, you know, I feel like if I shift my, I mean, it's a mindset thing. Like it is. You, yeah. If you shift that to sort of celebrating those instead uh-huh. of, you know, when I'm typing in like, no, wah, wah, rejected yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, you know, I have this like folder system. So I also like move my folder uh-huh. into the rejected folder. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And right now that, I mean, it does. It's like this sort of depressive thing, like, okay, yeah. another yeah. rejection. Right. But I love that shift to just being like, okay, now I'm up to 18. Okay, (laughs) how close are we to this goal? (laughs) I'm on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was like a a writer initially who did that as like a 100 rejection challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't remember his name or their name. But yeah, I just really liked that idea. It came about like an art group that I was in. We were talking about applying for things. And I was like, that's a great mindset to get into because I was feeling pretty bummed like 2020, I had like a nearly 100% rejection success Mm -hmm. rate. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I need a different tactic for 2021. Like I need a different Mm -hmm. way of thinking about this. And it's paid off. It's definitely helps. Like I don't feel as much of a sense of dread when you get the emails with the results on the the show or the residency or whatever. And it's, yeah, Yeah. it's it's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I recently got one that was a rejection, but it mm-hmm. included feedback, which, oh. you know, I love that where there's yeah. actual feedback. Yeah. But then the feedback was like, your work is incredible. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, well, then why was it rejected? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it was great, beautiful feedback, but it didn't yeah. give me any answers. <laughs> no. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? It would be so nice to know, like, you know, like we really loved your work, but it was so similar to this other work that was like slightly mm-hmm. more advanced in their technique or whatever. Like, I don't know. Right. It's nice to kind of hear like, cause it is so subjective. I mean, there's shows that I've been mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a shoe in for this. I'm definitely going to get in. Right. You know, and I've even like encouraged friends to apply and then they get in and they're like, oh, did you forget to apply? You know, and I'm like, <sighs> no, I, I got rejected. You know, like, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it just it's you have to have a very thick skin as an artist for sure. There's a lot yeah. of putting yourself out there and then just like not always sure why you didn't move forward. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we now, you know, I've have been on the other side of that a few mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Trying to write that feedback. Yeah. And like be encouraging, but also be honest and yep. be like, you know, these are the areas where you could improve. Uh-huh. Like this is usually the reason is totally not like your art wasn't good enough it might be that like your photos of it weren't quite good enough yeah or it might be just that it didn't fit the theme or it didn't Mm -hmm. we didn't like see the connections with all the other work we'd already selected yeah there's so many factors oh yeah it's helpful I think also to be on that other side of it yeah yeah and kind of see the process that the curators and the gallerists are going through Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's great. If, like, you know, if you ever have a chance as an artist to get to like be on that curatorial end of things, it's such a mm-hmm. good experience to wear that hat for a moment <laughs> and see yeah. what that looks like. 
which yeah. I think, you know, it does, happens a little bit too, just even with like student stuff too, where they're, you mm-hmm. know, because I do have students too that want to like enter into shows and stuff and they're like, well, which pieces do I pick? And just kind of like helping them sort of figure that out too is an interesting process. Right. Where often there's like, you know, the year end show where you have to kind of like go through and be like, I want to put this piece in, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. I'm planning some sort of curatorial lessons with Ooh, students. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's elementary, so... <laughs> That's awesome. It'll be really interesting just how I'm still kind of writing it out and how to do this via pre-recorded video, Uh (laughs) sending out into the world and being like, okay, you know, think through it's curating basically their own work. Fun. Yeah. Like make a mini art show. Yeah. Think through which pieces would you want to, you know, display? Mm -hmm, How mm -hmm. would, are you going to frame them? Do they go Mm -hmm. on a pedestal? Like what kind of display is there? All those, just all those questions. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting too, if they actually had to like curate like other people's other people's stuff into it too, like other students Mm -hmm. work. I wonder if you use like Padlet or something in a wall format, if you could have students curate a show on Padlet, like a digital show or something. It'd be really interesting to see like what they would say about that and how they'd put things together if they would just pick their friends. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to do that. I don't know. Yeah, the way I'm I'm teaching right now is very yeah. strange because uh-huh. it's like oh, yeah. pre-recorded <laughs> videos that go off to lots of schools. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I wonder, I'll have to bring that up and see if yeah. I, because then it would be like a Padlet shared between many schools. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which could be really interesting. It would be interesting to see. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you could transfer an image from one Padlet to another, but I don't know how mm-hmm. you'd sort of make sure that like people would be, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. 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 It's and then been the, a- like safety, security stuff exactly. that all the schools yeah, are yeah. requiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting with my adult students because, you know, so much of a big part of art is like, you know, especially in live art classes, is getting to make something and then like share it with your peers. Yeah. And so I started using Padlet early on with my students and just kind of like hoped that it would be the one that was easy enough for people to figure out. And it's been great. It's, you know, I mean, most of my students are, you know, not super technology. They don't really love technology. <laughs> they <Right. laughs> don't have a lot of experience with it. But Padlet's been really fun to use and to share work. And also just to see the progression too. It's like, I have these small uh, study groups that meet with me, kind of like graduate study groups of some of my mm-hmm. students. And it's really fun where they're like, oh, so I made this piece and it's in reference to a piece that I made earlier. Can we scroll down and find that one again so we can look at it? And like, uh. we'll scroll back six months in time and be like, yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah. I'd like the, see the connections there with the forms. And that's great. Yeah. So it's really interesting just kind of shifting to with some of the pandemic teaching. Like, there's a lot of things that I've sort of learned in this last year that I'm like, I would like to keep doing some of these things the same way. Mm-hmm. Like that's really nice to have. I feel like I've done a lot more kind of community building and connection building with students this year, which has been really nice. Yeah. And having those records, like not just mm-hmm. for yourself, but for them. Yeah. That sort of digital record is really helpful. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really, cause yeah, I think we, we often forget how much progress has been made. Oh, I love that. Well, I would like to kind of shift us towards wrapping up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. I love to hear the variety of things going on sort of in your head, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether art related or teaching related or not. What are you curious about right now? Ooh, well, I did this whole series of paintings recently where I was trying to, I mean, it started, I don't want these like pieces on panel that are not making me excited, just kind of live in my in a stack in my dining room anymore. So I'd mm-hmm. like to recycle them and reuse them. But I ended up creating all these really interesting paintings with all this intense texture and forms. Mm. And 
they were like very quickly, I was like, oh, wow, I just painted a bunch of planets and moons. Like, so then I was gotten on this really amazing tangent of like, what are the surface of the, like how the surface of the moon, like how are those shapes created? Like what's the process that has made the moon the way it's shaped? Mm -hmm. And then, so I started reading all these crazy articles on like the NASA website, (laughs) like went (laughs) deep into like, you know, astronomy lessons and thinking about planetary geology and deformation and Mm. that the moon has been shaped by moonquakes and meteorites hitting it and all these big traumatic events but it's just such a beautiful like placid surface that we all kind of enjoy and find so much peace and joy looking at so that's kind of been something i've been thinking a lot about recently is planetary surfaces (laughs) there's i remember an there was a title and an artwork. I'm trying to remember the name of this artist. I'll have to think about it and, okay. <laughs> and get back to you. I'm like, Good. there was this artist I was looking at a long time ago that related to that. And I can't remember. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd love <laughs> to see that if that comes back to you. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I love how, you know, the work we make leads us down all these like mm. rabbit holes. Yes. Yeah. And like the research. I mean, that's a thing I think is really interesting and important to bring to students like the process of an artist includes this sort of research that we do yeah totally okay silly kind of just get to know you question what is your favorite food uh burritos all day every day Mm. i could eat a burrito every day for every meal (laughs) and be large but happy (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it Large, like a burrito. Yeah, exactly. Warm, squishy. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of turn into a burrito. (laughs) But that's my California thing too. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up, people were like, oh, what kind of sandwich do you like? And I was like, I really don't like sandwiches. Like I want a burrito. Like I just grew up eating burritos as like the main food. So now as an adult, I have appreciation for sandwiches, but it was hard pressed to make me eat a sandwich as a child. (laughs) I love it. And then is there anything we missed? Anything you really wanted to touch on that we didn't get to? I guess, well, I just, okay. So one of the things too, that when I was working in career development is that, you know, everyone wanted to teach at the college level, thinking that that Mm -hmm. was like a really important milestone in their career. Like that was Mm -hmm. the acceptable path to be a teaching artist. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, just want to encourage, I mean, I always encourage my students to think of other audiences and other venues to be a teacher. Like, Yeah, Yeah. it's great to be teaching at the college level, but there's also so many amazing opportunities to teach lots of different ages and to not forget about teaching adults at community arts centers and seniors and kids. I mean, there's just lots of people out there who are very hungry to engage with creativity and, and make work. And I think it's really fun to find that there's this whole wide range of ways to be a teaching artist out there that I didn't know about, <laughs> like that really are very intriguing and really kind of fun to see. A lot of community art centers are always looking for teaching artists who want to try mm-hmm. out teaching a class and the pay is good. You can make mm-hmm. a living off of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a nice to kind of think about that and just feel like it's there's so many different ways to be an artist. It doesn't have to be one particular model or one path to, to go on. Yes. Uh, I think that's so important. And something I kind of wish I had heard like 10, 15 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> if one of my like undergrad professors had told me that, right. I'd been like, oh, because <laughs> they were all professors. They're like, well, you should just be like me, be a professor, right. you know, and it's like they had never experienced anything else. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, I had 
lots of teachers in my family, but like, yeah. you know, full-time uh-huh. public school teachers yep. mm-hmm. and then the art professors that yes. taught me and <laughs> yeah. no, nothing in between. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No other examples. Like you had like right. no other models to kind of look at and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, I didn't know any professional artists growing up. It's like, I didn't really know what that life could look like. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I think it's just really casting the net wide, like finding mentors, like finding people whose like career you admire and being like, what, you know, what does it look like for you as an artist? How are you putting things together? I mean, I think people are pretty generous. I think working with a career coach is awesome. Having both been one and then worked with people as coaches too. And just, you know, finding your community so you can see a lot of different ways of living as an artist can look what that looks like. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's so helpful. And I feel like I need that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Still. <laughs> Good reminder. Like, how do you, <laughs> yeah, how do you piece it all together again? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then last couple of things. Is there anyone you want to thank or give like a shout out to? Always my students. Like they're mm-hmm. just such a rock solid crew of source of inspiration and such a pleasure to think about and interact with. Now it's a lot on Instagram, but we have just great interactions and I really appreciate my students tremendously. Mm. I just really want to thank them for that. I mean, I think also just all the teachers who've taught me too. I mean, what an amazing gift to be part of that cycle of teaching and sharing and modeling uh, Mm. creativity. Yeah, uh, I love that. And then last thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? Definitely on Instagram, probably on there more than I need to be <laughs> at Aaron M. Wheeler. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my website, which is the same, AaronMWheeler.com. And yeah, I'm always open to emails and there's lots of information too on my website about you know classes I'm teaching, which are all online right now. So there's even if you're in Hawaii or New York, you can take a class with me. (laughs) And I still do career coaching too, one-on-one sessions. So if that's something people are interested in, you can just send me an email. We can schedule that too. Awesome. Uh, I might have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I will link to all of that as well. Great. And I did find, so the artist that I was thinking of who does work around the geology of the moon or did work, Uh she's not around anymore, was Nancy Graves. Oh, cool. Yeah, she had a bunch of pieces that were like geologic map of the moon, but you know, there's different like titles in there for different parts of the moon. Oh my gosh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was looking at her work like... (sighs) a long time ago. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, that's and exciting. They're, they're so cool. Thank you for this. This is cool. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, good. I'm going to have some fun with this for sure. Yeah. All the like stuff. textures and yeah. 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 So great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erin. This was oh, really pleasure. helpful. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah. I love the, just the theme of this podcast is so cool. I think it's just so great to share lots of different ways of kind of and combining teaching and art making and which is such like a, a pairing that happens for a lot of people. And it's really fun to get to be part of that community. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being part of it. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.